0: Well, good morning. My name is Antoinette Davis. Um, On most weeks, uh, I am a small group leader, and um, my small group is here. It's nice to see their faces. Um, I feel better. But it is my pleasure to um, cover Matthew 24 and 25 with you this morning. And the message for me this week was, The King is coming. Be aware, be wise, and be warned. Matthew 24 to 25 spoke to me about being ready, our king is coming we need to be aware we need to be wise and we need to be warned Um, i'd like to start with be aware matthew 24 4-31 so much in this section of scripture here on christ's final week on earth he is taking time out to really talk to his disciples about his second coming They've got lots of questions. They're asking lots of questions. And Christ gives us a general description of what will happen um, that will precede his return. He talks about the beginning of the tribulation and all of the terrible things that will be happening on earth at that time. He talks about religious deception, that there will be wars, famines, death, there'll be martyrs, Um, there'll be worldwide chaos, hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, Um, and in this worldwide chaos, there's also going to be an arise of all these false prophets speaking, um, misleading people, giving false information. And I had to step back and say, "Ooh, I really don't want to be around at that time, Um, but I'm also reminded of all of those people who tell us that we may be right in that time right now. We don't know. Um, Many would ask if we're ready for the beginning of that, if it's gonna get that much worse. I'm just thankful that our Savior says, when he comes for us, we're already forgiven. As believers, we are going home with him when he arrives. And so he moves then, and I'm gonna read from the message, uh, verses 30 and 31 of Matthew 24, because to me it paints a beautiful picture. Here are Jesus's words. Then the arrival of the Son of Man, It will fill the skies. No one will miss it. Unready people all over the world, outsiders to the splendor and power, will raise a huge lament as they watch the Son of Man blazing out of the heaven. At that same moment, he'll dispatch his angels with a trumpet blast summons, pulling in God's chosen people from the four winds from pole to pole. So after all this turbulent times, he gives us a beautiful picture. This may upset you, but I am coming for you, and I'm gonna come on a cloud of glory, and oh, by the way, no one will miss it. Jesus's words to us as believers. What comfort that I may not understand the whole end times picture, but he's coming for me, and even I am not gonna miss it, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. Then he moves on and tells us it's going to be like the coming of spring. I mean, we look outside right now. Things are blooming, things are green. And Jesus gives us this example of the fig tree. And he says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that the time is near, right at the door. So, again, Jesus is saying, Terrible things but I'm going to come and get you, my chosen people, and oh, by the way, it is going to be so clear to you believers, it's going to be like the changing of seasons. Now, I don't know about you, but I have great comfort in that, that even in the midst of chaos and desolation of false preachers, we're going to know truth when we see it. We're going to know him and that he is coming, but he does tell us not everyone's going to get it, which is pretty amazing that he's going to come on a cloud of glory, and not everyone's going to get it, and Jesus talks about the days of Noah, and what happened in the days of Noah, he tells us people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were going on their merry lives, and Noah was saying the day of judgment is coming, help me build this boat, and his neighbors were laughing at him, And this is a sign that Jesus is telling us that people are not going to believe us when we tell them this is what's coming. They're not going to believe it when they see him coming on his cloud of glory, that it really is the judgment day. They're going to be so caught up in the good of today and enjoying their pleasures that they're going to miss the great that he has to offer. So like the signs of Noah, he says he's coming like a thief in the night. He will be here. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you, believer, must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour of his return. But we just need to stay awake and be alert like waiting for visitors who are coming sooner or later. We know he could drop in on us anytime. This whole section of scripture really reminds me, and we have lots of people with this example in here, of getting ready for the arrival of a new baby. You know that baby's coming sometime. You are cleaning the nursery, you are painting walls, you are buying baby wipes and baby wipe warmers so the baby's really comfortable and you're just it's a time of celebration of pleasure it may also be a a time of discomfort you may not be sleeping real well your body's changing you're getting very robust in a beautiful way but there's also some discomfort there with that baby's coming but this is what we do to get ready for a baby and god's really telling us you just need to do those kinds of things to get ready for me you know that baby's coming, and unless you have a C-section, you really don't know exactly what day, or what time, or what hour. You, you might think you know, but babies tend to teach us early who's in control, because uh, they come when they're ready, not when we're ready for them. So whenever those birth pangs begin, you're ready. You have to be. That's Christ's message from me in this section of scripture. I may not understand everything about the end times. I may not understand all the signs. But he's telling me, like the coming of spring, I'm gonna know it as a believer when I see it. My job is to get ready for his arrival. So I have to be aware. I don't know when he's coming, but I really don't know what's gonna happen this afternoon. I don't really know what's gonna happen tomorrow. My responsibility is not to attempt to guess and to spend my time worrying about what day he's coming, but to be alert, to be watchful, and to be faithful Uh, with my time that I have here. Um, So here are the questions that I really asked myself after studying that chapter. Am I ready? I mean, if he comes on that cloud of glory this afternoon, who have I not witnessed to? Who have I not talked to again and again and again about their faith in him? Who are gonna be those people that don't get it that I'm gonna be watching as I go with him and I'm gonna be leaving them behind? That burdens me. I have to think about getting ready. Am I awake? Will I see those signs? And am I ready to really say, bring it on, Lord Jesus. Come today. I'm ready. And that's where he wants us to be. He wants us to be so ready, we are calling him saying, come and get us today because I've got my bags packed. I'm ready to go. He wants us to be aware. The second script, section of scripture that we studied, I called be wise. That was my lesson from this section, Matthew 24, 36 to, through twenty-five thirty. 30. And here we have a couple parables on being wise. And I want to start with um, what really was my favorite parable, the wise and foolish bridesmaids. I have uh, teenage daughters, so maybe I saw these um, foolish bridesmaids as, you know, a bunch of excited teen girls waiting for their friend to get married. But what a wedding this was. And This wedding is pretty foreign to our concept of weddings, but in first-century Palestine, this was pretty normal. Um, In our day, people get invitations. The invitation says date, time, place. You go to the wedding, and if the bride is a little late, everyone starts to, whew, you know, is she coming? You know, what's going on? We would get nervous, but in this time, um, a wedding could take place over several days, and part of the fun was the bride and her wedding party really didn't know when the groom was going to show up and most grooms chose to come show up at the most inopportune hour. I mean, part of the fun was for the, br- the bridegroom and his party to catch the bridesmaids and the bride sleeping, not ready, not dressed. I mean, can you imagine? Doesn't that sound like a fun idea of a wedding? Right? <laughs> right. Not, I think we were all born in the right period of time, was what I was thinking. Um, but the alert ones in the wedding party would be ready, and the others would not be. But in fairness to the wedding party, The bridegroom would send a messenger to run through town yelling, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. He's coming. So they would have a couple minutes to get ready. And in this parable, the cry comes in the middle of the night, as often was the case, and the sleeping attendants were awakened, and that's when the five foolish bridesmaids realized... You know, because they've got clay lamps, so they can't see through them like glass and see, ooh, I'm half out of oil. But they realize, we're not going to make it. We don't have enough oil. But they turn to their girlfriends, the other five, and say, you know, let us have some of yours. Well, those five say, if we give you our oil, none of us are going to make it through the night. So you got to go to the dealer and get your own oil. So off go the five foolish bridesmaids, and starting with verse 10, chapter 25, they did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. When everyone who was there to greet him had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door, saying, Master, we're here, let us in, we're ready to party. And what does he say? I don't know you. I don't think I know you. Our call, verse 13, so stay alert. You have no idea when he will arrive. Already in Matthew's gospel in 915, Jesus had told us he was the bridegroom. He was the bridegroom who would be coming back for his church. Um, Throughout his ministry, he was their bridegroom, the coming Messiah. In this parable, believers are really told to be like those wise virgins, those wise bridesmaids. We are to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. Our oil in our lamp is to be burning so brightly that it is there, it's solid, and it is fueling us. He is the, should be the fuel of our hearts and minds, and that's what he was telling us through this parable. So I ask you, what's fueling you? Um, a few weeks ago, um, my daughters and some friends and I did the rock and roll half marathon. Um, this is a picture of my daughter Katie and her sweet friend Caroline after they crossed the finish line. But Caroline, this was her first half marathon, not that the rest of us have, this was our second, so we're not um, big marathoners, but Caroline is very athletic, she's a captain on her drill team, she had trained for six months, she was running regularly, she's in great shape, Um, her mom is a competitive athlete, um, she was ready and very excited, and it, this was the morning that we sprung forward, so it was March 14th, and I had to get up a bunch of sleepy, not springing forward teenagers at my house. We got them ready. Everyone looked great. They were dressed. They were excited. The weather, it was 70 that day. It was beautiful, um, and so we get downtown, and um, they take off, and they're all having fun, you know, chatting, excited, and off they go. Well, around mile four, Caroline got the dry heaves. And I am way back, because I'm a walker. I don't run at all. So they're in Q2 starting, and I'm in Q14. Um, So I am way back, and I get a text. Caroline has the dry heaves, and, you know, I'm texting back, start with the water, get her some water, get her Gatorade, because we're getting into that section of the race where there is stuff. And so um, what I learned is that she had not eaten or had anything to drink since the night before, and I missed it at my house getting her, she spent the night with me. I I was responsible for this kid, but I missed it because I was so busy getting everyone moving. Um, So by mile eight, she was vomiting Gatorade and water and the paramedics pulled her out of the race and made her sit there. Now she did finish, there she is, finished ahead of me in my walking group. But um, (laughs) she had to stop until she had fueled her body. Anyway, it was a sweet picture for me that what mattered in that race was what was inside. She looked right from the outside. That's what I was looking at. Have you got your sweater? Are you dressed right? Are you ready? But it was what was inside of her, and none of us could help her with that. It wasn't something I could give her. I couldn't pull her along. None of us could help her with what was inside. So I have to ask with this parable, are you abounding in God's word? Are you abounding in the spirit? Are you abandoning yourself and living with your eyes fixed on the Lord? Do you know whether there's holy oil burning in your lamp? That was my takeaway from that parable. The parable of the talents, um, I loved because here is a master who entrusts his servants with different amounts of talents, which back then was about 20 years of wages, considerable amount of money, based on how much talent he thinks they can handle. So his first servant gets five talents because he feels like that servant can really produce and be trusted with it and gets a big amount. The second servant gets um, a few talents, too, and then the third servant gets one talent. When the master returns and he asks him, you know, what did you do with your, your talent? Let me see what you grew for me. Um, the servants fall into two categories. The faithful two are the two servants who took their talents knew that the master trusted them and expected something out of them, and they did something with it. Then you have the one servant who was so afraid, and he didn't, tr- he didn't trust, the master's trust in him, that he just buried that talent so nothing would happen to it. Now, he didn't do really evil. You can't say he did evil. He didn't go out and gamble it away or buy things or spend it. Or, but he didn't use it and grow it for the master. I think we have to carefully note that in this parable, faithful service led to increased opportunity to serve the master, to bring him glory, and to give him things. Unfaithful service meant to the master that the servant didn't trust his judgment in him, and he was then, his talent was taken away. So I ask this from this parable. Do you know and love your master, Jesus Christ? Is that your master, And do you have a fruitful labor that God has given you? What is it you want him to find you doing when he does come back? That was a big question for me. What's the work, if he's my master, that I need to be doing? We are not to bury what God has entrusted us with, but to go to work with it for the glory of God and for our eternal rewards. Um, So if we're going to be wise, the three things I learned from these parables are some things I can't borrow. I can't borrow or give you fuel. I can't borrow or share the Holy Spirit with you. All I can do is help you with your own salvation so you get that fuel yourself. Some things can't be put off. We cannot wait to try to get and witness to other people putting it off may mean that they miss that knock on their door when Christ is coming back for us. And we can't miss out, and we can miss out on great opportunities. God gives every single one of us gifts and talents that he would like us to use for his glory, not ours. If we bury those talents, we're taking glory away from him. We also know that he only gives us what we can handle. So if we are we are given a talent, it's because he trusts that we have everything we need to use that talent. He's given it all to us. And so it's part of our job then is to embrace it. So we just have to be wise with what he's given us. The last section of scripture I called be warned. And this is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And and Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I don't know about you, but I would really rather be a sheep um, than a goat. And so I thought, you know, what is the truth here? The truth is that God knows and sees who belongs to him by how we respond to our salvation. Reaching out to others doesn't enable our salvation, but it is a result of our salvation. God's children can be detected, he says, in how he treats and how we treat the least of these. The sheep didn't even get it. You know, they ask, "Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you?" We didn't do that, but you know what? It was their deep love and the fact that they had allowed their love of God to transform their hearts. They didn't do it because they thought they were doing it for him. They just did it because they loved him so much they were willing to do it for the least of these. Isn't that what God wants us to do with our salvation? He wants us to love the least of these and serve him well we're not going to be thinking about him every moment. We're going to be just doing it because it's an outpouring of the love that he has given us. We're doing it because we love him, Um, and that's why there were sheep and there were goats, and I sure want to be a sheep. So, in summary, we need to be aware, we need to be wise, we need to be warned. Jesus told the disciples to live watchful lives, and he tells you and I the same thing over and over and over in this set of script, section of scripture. Be ready, be ready, be ready. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. We're not supposed to just move from appointment to appointment, crisis to crisis, item on our to-do list to item on our to-do list. He wants us to keep our eyes open and be ready for his opportunities whenever they hit. What are we supposed to watch for? Well, according to Matthew 24, 42 to 47, we're supposed to be aware of God's work here on earth. Jesus, our master, has gone away for a little while, but he's been very clear in the fact that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he wants to find each of us as a faithful servant, having used what he gave us well. So are you taking care of the master's people? Are you sharing Christ with others? Are you burning brightly with the power of the Holy Spirit? Micah 6.8 really sums up to me a life that pleases God. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Be aware, be wise, be warned. Out of love for our Father, out of thankfulness for your salvation, out of obedience as his children we are called to be different because we know him. So I'd like to end with this proverb. It's one of my favorite, and I take this from the message again. But I think it's, it, the way it says it just makes it so special. So, my dear friends, listen carefully. Those who embrace these my ways are most blessed. Mark a life of discipline and live wisely. Don't squander your precious life. Blessed the man, blessed the woman who listens to me, awake and ready for me each morning, alert and responsive as I start my day's work. When you find me, you find life, real life, to say nothing of God's good pleasure. My prayer for all of us is that we find God's good pleasure.